0: The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised.
1: This episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show has been brought to you by Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards, two centuries of fruit tree expertise welcome to the urban forestry radio show here on reality radio 101 in this radio show and podcast we learn about fruit trees permaculture arboriculture and so much more so, if you love trees and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show.
0: Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan Live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. And now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: Hi, everyone. How are you feeling today? Well, me, I've been struggling a little bit. It's that time of year when people are sneezing and sniffling and spreading colds and flu. First, my husband Cliff got sick. Now I'm feeling a little tired and stuffy. It's it's that kind of day. So what do you do when you get sick? Well, I have a shoebox filled with health food supplements. So when Cliff first got sick, I took it out of the kitchen cupboard to see what I had. I found a bottle of really expensive syrup that was made with elderberries, elderflowers, vitamin C, and echinacea. It actually tasted really bad, (laughs) but Cliff took the stuff as instructed and finished the whole bottle. And he's feeling a bit better right now. Those types of supplements aren't cheap, and I wondered why. You see, elderberry shrubs are a beautiful native plant here in North America. I had one in my garden for years and it was delightful and easy to grow, but I never turned the berries into medicine. So in today's show, we will learn more about elderberry plants, what selections are available, are they always easy to grow, and how hard is it to make your own elderberry medicine? My guest today on the show is Terry Durham of River Hills Harvest in Missouri. He's an organic farmer who in 2003 shifted from growing vegetables to growing and processing elderberries. He uses new elderberry selections that have been developed from wild plants. And he's working to help other small-scale growers grow elderberries too. So what do Terry's elderberry products taste like? Well, if you want to know, just send us an email during the live show, and you will be entered into today's contest. The prize is a selection of elderberry products from River Hills Harvest, including one bottle of pure elderberry juice, one bottle of elderberry cordial, and one bottle of elderberry syrup. And to top it off, our prize winner will also receive two shot glasses and two coasters to enter the contest right now, just send us an email with a question, a comment, or just to say hi. Send your email to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. And do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from. So on the line is Terry Durham. Terry, thanks for coming on the show today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I've been looking forward to it since we first talked.
1: Oh, great. So tell me, I'm very curious, you had worked in vegetable farming. What made you consider turning to growing elderberries as a cash crop instead?
2: Well, we we grew vegetables for CSA, and we worked the soil pretty hard growing vegetables and We wanted to try to change over to a more permaculture type of agriculture in our fields. And I had always been interested in elderberry from a very young age when my grandma used to have us go out and pick the elderberries, and she would make jelly out of them. And my dad taught me how to make pop guns and whistles out of the stems of the elderberry. So I had a history of loving the elderberry, and we uh, had gotten... Uh, interested in it with a group of researchers from the university that were also into native plants, and they started uh, to do some research and decided to, start to select for some new varieties, and we got involved, and I could see that it was going to be a really not good future for elderberry growing, because there was nobody really doing it, and they grew so well here in the Midwest, the native ones did. So we shifted over from the elderberry the vegetables into having uh, 40 acres of elderberries and that was the first big orchard and from that we were able to start lots of other growers with the new selections that were coming out of the research
1: wow that's that's a big change now you mentioned your background with elderberries and and um the jelly that you used to have when did you discover that elderberries are actually healthy and and why are they healthy
2: well, it was back in the, in the you know, in the, we knew the elderberries were healthy from early days of the herbal, herbal medicine when I first started getting into that. But we didn't, I didn't really start collecting or using them until in the, in the late 90s, I came across an elderberry concentrate product that some people in Kansas were making. Wildwood sellers were processing the elderberry concentrate that they were bringing in from Europe. And it was this great medicine, and people were starting to to use it and as soon as I saw it, it all came together for me. and they're importing this native plant from Europe that we could be growing in every one of our gardens and it grew wild everywhere, but it just hadn't been worked with and selected for the very best ones.
1: So for instance, so, mm-hmm. Go ahead so
2: that selection process started in nineteen ninety seven And that's when we put our first rows out. But then we kind of waited for the trials on all the new selections to come out before we started to plant our fields. And that took about eight years of trialing them all to come up with just the right ones to plant out there.
1: So when I went out to and or when I found that elderberry syrup in my little box in the kitchen, (laughs) would that be made from... Uh, North American elderberries or European elderberries and would that come from Europe or would it have been grown in North America?
2: I would probably say that it came from Europe because 95% of the products that we consume in the United States are made from the European elderberry the Sambucus nigra which is a different plant than the American which we grow is the Sambucus canadensis, which is our North American variety that grows from the from the Rocky Mountains to the east, from Maine to Florida, and so it's widely dispersed. So if people had not been making hardly any products for a long time out of the American stuff, and now we're just beginning, so if it was American, you'd have been really lucky.
1: Hmm.
2: But there's but the American elderberry is a little bit better elderberry, we feel, than the European better.
1: Well, so that's a good question. If it's a a totally, if it's a different plant, then do we know it has those, that it also has medicinal benefits?
2: Well, that's why we have been working at the University of Missouri. They've been doing research to show how much of the medicinal benefits that the American elderberry have. And they're very high in all the antioxidants, a little higher than the European, but they also include two additional antioxidants that are really helpful also and keep it fresh. Hmm. So yeah. we we've, we mm-hmm. started out with a lot of science. I like to make decisions science-based. And then, you know, from that, we've learned how healthy, are, healthy they are and how easily we can produce them here in the United States and... Now we have hundreds of uh, orchards around the country that are all growing elderberries and they're getting them into their communities and they're making products and they're making their own medicines and enjoying them in muffins and lots of other good
1: things. Oh, fantastic. Okay, we have uh, quite a few questions here. So we've got Derek uh, from Helena, Montana. What are the minimum water requirements for elderberries, and are they different between the black and blue types? Second question is on the availability of improved varieties.
2: Well, on the first question, there there are two. The main elderberry that would be growing in that area that would be wild would be the blue ceruleus-type elderberry. It's It's called the blue elderberry. It's a lighter in color. They're just beginning to do a lot of the research in California now that we've been doing on the canadensis type, which grows wild on our area here, on this side of the mountains. So it is used for some juice. I don't know, but we don't know how much antioxidant it has in it. We know it has some. They're beginning to do that testing. And then uh, they're encouraging people to grow it for the flowers, which is another whole uh, crop or herb that can be collected from the elderberry, and they're talking about using it in fence rows for habitat for the insects as well as to collect the flowers. Now, we like to give our plants quite a bit of water. Elderberries can, they will live with less water, but we try to give ours at least an inch a week, and that keeps them growing really well. And if you're going to try to grow berries, water is really important because they're mostly water when they get ripe. So a crop that's going to harvest, for us, it's August when we are harvesting the elderberries, and it's dry and really hot. So without that water, they can quickly lose their size and not get big and juicy.
1: hmm Okay, and, and availability, of Im- yes. was, mm-hmm. availability of... The second question was... The availability of improved... availability of yes. the new
2: selections. hmm Yes, there are, we have a nursery where we send out the new selections that we've been working with. There are a number of other orchards around that are beginning to carry the new selections. Um, we really, we really think they're superior for the for the Midwest, and we have helped grow help the growers all over uh, the United States grow and Canada uh, begin to grow these new selections, and they seem to be vigorous almost everywhere. So they are high in antioxidant. And then they have some other characteristics that really help uh, the growers manage them.
1: Wow. Okay, great. Now we have a a big, beautiful question um, from Rich near Fredericksburg, VA, Virginia, I guess. I have several questions, Um, says Rich. Sorry, did I say Rick? Rich. I have several questions. Feel free to pick and choose which ones to respond to. Wow. He has so many great questions. Um, I want to go through all of them, but let me just pick one for now and then we'll come back to it. Um, Let's see. A lot of it is on varieties. He asks here about the care um, and in terms of pruning. So, you know, how much hands-on care do these plants need? He asks, which varieties work well to mow off either every year or every other year? and which ones need to be selectively pruned to remove old wood. So can you talk a little bit about how much care these plants actually need? They are native plants, uh, so can we just leave them alone and let them do their thing?
2: You can leave them alone and let them do their thing, but they can get kind of out of control. And one of the nice things about the American elderberry, compared to the European elderberry, is that roots on one-year-old wood so we have a pot we pretty much always cut all of our canes down to the ground every winter and that grows primocanes we want that one-year-old wood that will shoot up and make a really large head at the very end so we you know that's one of the key parts of our system is that by pruning them to the ground you synchronize the growing and the blooming and then the fruiting so that we get it in a more concentrated time period so we can pick it and harvest it and get it out of there quick. And so most of the ones that we sell all are proven to be good for stooling or coming back up and growing really fast and making big heads on the top. Some that don't work would be the European types. They have to be selectively pruned, so you have to go in there and cut off the four-year-old wood or and then the damaged wood, because you're always managing your one-year-old wood to be the ones that will produce fruit for the next year. So that's a lot of hand pruning to try to manage all that. And then it, they don't have a very synchronized set of fruit, so they have to be over a longer period of time. Most of the canadensis can handle the pruning down. Some that don't. John's doesn't seem to be able to take it. Very well. And that's one of the ones that's from Canada that people do grow up there. It's a very tall plant, but it doesn't stool well, and it's doesn't seem to fit into that system.
1: Interesting. Okay, so basically if you choose the right... And you call them selections. If you choose the right selection or, you know, type of plant, we call them with fruit trees, varieties. I know that's a little different. But if you choose the right one, you can just mow it to the ground. When would you do that? In the fall every year?
2: We do it in the winter when a tree is totally dormant and lost all of its leaves. We usually start pruning in January.
1: So you don't even it's need any specialist cool. knowledge. You just cut them to the ground, let them come back every year. Now, that is definitely easier than learning how to prune and, you know, which branches do you remove, which do you keep. Um, do do you people like that because it seems kind of easy? or?
2: Um, it's very easy to grow elderberries. They can actually be, you know, like a raspberry. They can just take over if you give them a chance. And so prune. you know, you've got to keep them kind of pruned in place of where you want them to grow at. And um, a few people I know will leave a small stump up maybe six inches that they continue to have new canes come out of that. They're usually growing with a, with a fabric row cover of some type to keep the weeds down around them.
1: Hmm. Well, that's good. Okay, we're going to go to well, let's keep this question. If we have time later, we're going to come back because there's so many good questions here. I want to go to Ken's email. Hi, Susan, fantastic topic. Sort of a silly question for Terry. He mentioned some things made from elderberry plants such as pop guns, etc. Did he ever hear of elderberry smoking pipes? I hear that they are awesome from a pipe smoker in Toronto. Thanks. That's Ken in Toronto.
2: I have uh, I have seen people using the stems for, uh, you know, uh, for the pipe stems, you know, using the stems for the stems. But not too much. Uh, the biggest history is probably in flute making. There's some beautiful elderberry flutes even in the Smithsonian that were collected hundreds of years ago by the Native Americans that they were using. Um, they make fire tubes, you know, they used to use the hollowed out pith, you know, any section between where the buds come out, there's a pith in the middle of the elderberry, and you can push it out with a stick, people do it different ways, and then you have a nice tube, and then that tube is like a tool, and it can be used for blow on a fire, or to make whistles out of, or flutes, or lots of different things have been done with them.
1: What an unusual, interesting plant in that way. We have another question here, and I'm glad Cindy asked this. Cindy writes from St. Catharines, Ontario. Hello, Susan. Love the show. My question today is, are elderberries safe for children and pets? Thank you for your answer. I'm really glad Cindy asked that because I have a memory of when we had our elderberry shrub in the backyard I remember somebody telling me, "Oh, you don't want to eat that those berries uh, fresh because they can be toxic." So, is that true?
2: Depending on what berry you have growing, <laughs> now that's one of the great things that we've worked on, and the University of Missouri has completed research on this precursor of cyanide that's in most of the sambucus. Some kinds of sambucus have a lot more than others. The nigra from Europe is one that does have quite a bit of the precursor of cyanide in it. And when we eat it, our digestive system turns it into a cyanide, and it can it can cause problems. So the European elderberry needs to be processed and heated before you eat it, or it can give you an upset stomach. Now, we been, after six years of research, or the biochemists, have uh, assured us, and they were waiting for this to be published, that the American elderberry has 100 times less potential of cyanide than apple juice.
1: Hmm.
2: So it's, and that we don't need to worry about the cyanide issue in American elderberry. But most of the most of the stuff that you would buy dried elderberries or things. Unless you know where it's sourced from, you still have to be careful. So that's why it's so good to buy your own, to grow your own elderberries, and then you know for sure they're good American elderberries, and that we don't have to worry about that.
1: Oh, great.
2: So we used to always be really careful till we had the research to prove that we don't really have to worry about that in the American elderberries. But the distinction is not being made a lot of times between the canadensis and the nigra mm-hmm. when you're buying them, so you got to make sure which kind you're going to get. If you so. good oh. American elderberry, you don't have to worry about the cyanide issue.
1: That's good news. Okay, so we've got an email from Susie in Minnesota. So uh, just as a little preface, we've talked about you know these plants are relatively easy to grow. We've said that they've had medic- they have medicinal uh, benefits. And I mentioned that I had an elderberry uh, bush in my garden. It was a canadensis, I'm pretty sure. But I remember one of the reasons I didn't um, harvest the berries is it was kind of fussy. There are these beautiful berries, but, you know, what are you going to do? Pick one off one at a time. And Susie in Minnesota writes, what's the best way to remove the berries from the stems? And I totally understand that question. I think it's a great question. So what would you answer, Susie?
2: Well, there, there are kind of two main approaches to destemming the elderberries. A lot of people will pick the big bunches, the umbrels of berries, and freeze them on the stem. And then when you, then they come off the stem really easy. So you can put them in a big bag, put your big frozen heads of elderberries fresh into the bag and freeze it. Don't push them down real tight. Leave them kind of airy. And after they're frozen, just beat the bag around a little bit, and most all those berries will fall off. And you make a little corner in the hole of the uh, in the corner of the sack, make a little hole, and the, most of those berries will come right out of there and leave the stems in the bag. But the problem with that way is it always leaves this little bitty quarter to three eighths inch piece of stem on the berries because they're meant to, when they freeze, there's a little intersection that breaks there. But that was the easiest way in the past to do it. We try to do all of our berries fresh when the, before they're frozen, and you can. We we have a machine that the farmers use that will stem the berries like that. It's one of the things that makes it successful for the small growers is to be able to do that. But it's pretty simple to do yourself if you can find some stainless uh, wire screening like like hardware cloth, that's about a quarter to three-eighths inch size holes. And if you make a little wooden frame and you attach that to the bottom, you can put those berries in there when they're fresh and rub them back and forth gently and they'll get caught in there and they'll fall off really easily. Oh, wow. And then the advantage of doing this with the fresh berries then is in the washing and the cleaning that can come next. If you put them into a colander and then you have some water in your sink that doesn't go over the top of the colander, and you only fill the colander about half full of berries, and you put that in the water, the ripe berries will go to the bottom of your colander, and the debris and unripe berries and green berries will float to the top. And then you can skim those off, and then you can get all those really good clean berries from the bottom. After you've skimmed that off, strain them, and then you have a really nice clean berry that way
1: it's kind of like making a chicken soup put
2: those in the freezer and freeze those up and then you're ready to make juice
1: yeah that's great it's like i was saying it's kind of like making a chicken soup where you take the the sort of scummy stuff off the top that floats up and then you've got the great broth so it's similar um i also wanted to ask so your berries you know you have your berries they're ready to go how do you turn them into medicine after that
2: well, now you've washed those berries, and they're they're fresh, and then you've frozen them. Because I always like to start most of the things I make with frozen berries because when you bring them out of the freezer, you put them in a pan, put them on the stove, and just put a little bit of water in there, just enough to start making a little bit of steam, you know, maybe a, a half a cup. And then as those berries thaw since they were frozen. And when they freeze, it breaks all the cell walls in that berry. And the juice will just run out of those little bitty berries as they thaw up. So once the, the juice will accumulate in there, you don't want to boil it. You're just heating up enough to thaw it out. And it'll just fill with juice where the berries are. And then I just take that juice, pour it through a jelly bag. You know, one of those little three-legged strainers that you use for making jelly just a muslim bag that fits in there. And so you're going to strain that juice out from the berries, and most all the juice will come right out of it. You can just push a little bit on it with a spoon or something and get the last out. But then you have your elderberry juice. That is the pure, good medicine right there that's so healthy. And so to preserve that, to keep it, you can do it in a few different ways. You can put that right in an ice cube tray and just freeze those little things, and you can just take one little cube out at a time. Put it in your tea or let it thaw out and drink that for medicine or you can hot pack it we have we have been hot packing the juice for a long time and have never had any problems and we have in an FDA's approved process that's like a hot pack that we've done a million jars with and never had a problem so it's really simple to do at home so you take your juice you heat it up to one hundred and eighty degrees. You don't want to go over one hundred and eighty degrees because above that temperature you begin to lose the antioxidants. And I see way too many people boiling it, but if it's in, you know if it's European type, you have to boil it. The American, you don't have to boil it. One hundred and eighty degrees will keep all those great medicines and antioxidants and stuff in it. Then you're going to put that into some hot glass. You'll have your jars that you want to put it in. Put them in the oven at the lowest temperature, like 170 degrees. So you pour your 180-degree juice into the 170-degree glass bottles and put a cap on it, and it will stay in there for a really long time. Hmm. I have stuff that's 15 years old that's still good.
1: Wow. Incredible. And so this, this you know, when we're talking about the juice as medicine, you talk about, you know, taking out little cubes from the freezer of the juice. Would you only take it when you don't feel well? Or is it a preventative thing that you really should have a cube every day?
2: Well, if you don't want to get the flu, you want to protect yourself from the viruses that are everywhere. One tablespoon a day is all it really takes to get rid of the, of the viruses that you have in your body. It reduces inflammation, takes you know combines and gets rid of the free radicals that are in our body. If, if, you're, if you wait and get sick, then you can take it and it will reduce the time that you have the flu to just a few days. And it begins to give you relief really quick when you drink the pure juice. Mm. Then you want to do it about three or four times a day. That one tablespoon, maybe a little bit more if you're sick, and it will make you feel much better. But it's really better if you're doing it a little bit every day, especially during the winter and the flu season, because it will keep you from getting the flu. And it does a lot of other really great things for us, too, besides just protecting us from the
1: flu. Oh, fantastic. Well, how about this? There are lots more questions that we'll go through, um, and I'd love to talk in more detail about the different elderberry selections. We talked about one called John. There are lots of other ones and new ones as well. So can you stay on the line, Terry, for just a couple of minutes while we hear a word from our sponsors?
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay, great. So lots more fantastic information coming up. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is realityradio101.com and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book Growing Urban Orchards and we'll be back right after the break.
3: Stark Brothers is primarily a direct-to-consumer marketer of fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees. We do this on a national basis. We're the largest as far as what we do, and we've been doing it for 200 years. Company started in 1816 when James Hart Stark brought his family and a satchel full of apple science across the Mississippi River, settled here in what is now Louisiana, Missouri. The big first apple for Stark Brothers was the Red Delicious apple, and it started in 1893, and then 20 years later, in 1914, the Golden Delicious apple was mailed to the facility here. Two-thirds of all the apples eaten in the world today are cousins of these two apples. Essentially, they have the DNA of the Red Delicious or Golden Delicious apple in their DNA. We have about eight acres of warehouses, and we have between 350 and 400 acres of field production going on every year, which is split into two crops, the crop you're budding and the crop you're selling. We have about five acres of greenhouses.
1: We offer a wide variety of product. We're growing woody fruit trees, small fruits, raspberries, blueberries, knockout roses, kiwis. There's always a new product coming out or a new technique.
3: E-commerce has changed our business model completely, and we recognize we're open 24-7, and the customer wants their merchandise faster and sooner than they ever have. What works well with us is that, one, we're centrally located. That 75% of our customer base is within two days' time in transit. We'll send an email on a Monday, and if you place your order today or tomorrow, you'll be planting this weekend.
1: Stark Brothers Nurseries and Orchards. Learn more at starkbros.com. Hi everyone, congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada, and over the years I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages and sizes, how to optimize tree health and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees. Or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care, where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed ebooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy Growing from OrchardPeople.com.
0: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner.
1: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In today's show, we're talking with Terry Durham of River Hills Harvest in Missouri about growing and processing elderberries. Terry grows native elderberry plants and turns the berries and blossoms into juice, cordial, and syrups. He also teaches other small-scale growers the skills they need to know to grow this beautiful and productive plant, too. In the first part of the show, we discussed the medicinal qualities of elderberries, which have been used actually for centuries to help cure colds and flu. And we explored a little bit in w- about what's involved in processing the berries. In this part of the show, I'd really like to talk about the different elderberry selections available. Um, for instance, are some plants easier to grow or harvest than others? Uh, we'll find that out in just a minute. But first, if you're listening to the show live, do send us an email with a question or a comment, and we will enter you into today's contest. If you win, we'll send you some fantastic River Hills harvest elderberry products valued at $60. It's so easy to enter the contest. Just send us an email right now with your question or comment and send the email to instudio101 at gmail.com. Do remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. And when you write, you may want to tell us, do you grow elderberries? What do you use them for? Or tell us which elderberry selections you grow. Do you like it? That whatever that selection is. So, of course, you can always just write us to say hi too. The address is in studio101 at gmail.com. So, Terry, before we jump into elderberry plant selections, we've got an email here from Jason. And Jason writes, his, it's, the title is How Big. So Jason writes, hi, fantastic show. I hear that elderberry bushes get large, very large. How big do they actually get? I'm not sure if I would have room to grow them. And Jason's from Las Vegas.
2: Well, it depends on how much you cut them. The ones that we grow commercially that we cut every year rarely get more than eight feet tall. And then we will cut that off, and it will regrow every year. But they will spread, so you 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 can always mow them down where they're trying to grow in other places. But they usually not much more than ten feet. But it will get as wide and as many shoots as you will let them once they get started. So you can you have to it can be a little bit invasive. So you have to be able to contain them and. Uh, then you can manage the size of your of how big you want it because they're so easy to grow they will spread and fill any space that you would like them to be in
1: well i'm glad that that he asked the question then because if you've got a teeny tiny little garden and you're also hoping to grow some flowers and other things perhaps elderberries aren't the right choice
2: and put them in the corner of the yard mm-hmm. <laughs> or in a little a, a, a fence row or on the edge so that you can kind of contain them back in there.
1: Okay, fight them back. We've got an email from Denise. Hello, very interesting radio show topic. She says, I'm not really sure what elderberries are. I have heard a lot about them regarding health benefits and syrups, tonics, etc. Can you please embellish on the health benefits? Listening to you in Alma, Quebec.
2: Well, the University of Missouri has been doing a lot of current research over the last oh, five or six years. They have published over 50 new articles on elderberry, so there's a lot of new science coming out. You know, so there's the the cyanide issue that we just talked about. That's one of the projects for the growing part because we're doing work with the growing there, as well as the health benefits. So we know that the uh, that it's super strong with anything antiviral. You know, it's a very strong antiviral. Viruses are are, are kind of more or less attached. Well, you know, the elderberry molecule will attach onto the virus. and It can't replicate. Then it can remove it from the system. They've identified all, you know, how that works better. But they're doing a lot of exciting work now with Alzheimer's prostate cancer, and stroke recovery. Those are the three big projects they're working on now. But elderberry has been used for thousands of years for medicine. You know, Hippocrates wrote the first book on it, and he felt he could heal any part of your body with a part of the elder. And he used all the different parts for different things. So one of the reasons that it probably worked so well for everything was that it's such a strong anti-inflammatory. And so it really helps with any kind of inflammation that you have. And life gives you inflammation. Everything can be inflaming these days. Different foods or stress or a lot of different things can cause inflammation. Mm-hmm. So it really helps with that. So then it helps with almost any kind of problem that you have because it reduces that inflammation.
1: Interesting. Kind of a magical plant so the, in that way. The,
2: one, of the, the big, one of the most exciting things they're working with now is the Alzheimer's where they have been doing human trials. Using our juice, and they have reversed cognitive degeneration in Alzheimer's patients. And they have uh, done two replications of that trial now with humans, and have incredible uh, success with it. And so they're continue to work on that. They have to prove it more times before they're going to put out too much on it. But it's all it's moving along really good. And they've worked on uh, prostate cancer, where they've cured prostate cancer in mice, and they have, uh, now they're working on other models. It, it, Research can be really slow when it comes to health sciences, especially when you're working with native plants and stuff.
1: Hmm. Well, that's, that sounds fantastic. I mean, that's very exciting. Um, Let's move on to Frank's question here. Frank, his question is entitled, Hi. Um, Hello, I have grown several elderberry bushes. I only have elderberries on a couple of them. I've planted them in mostly sunny areas throughout the day. Could something be amiss in my soil? Not sure what to look for. Thank you. Oh, and I live in Oakland, California. So that's Frank's question.
2: Well, (laughs) Not knowing what you have planted, it's hard to give advice because there's so many different kinds of elderberries. And In Southern California, there's a small elderberry. It's what we call a Mexican dwarf that grows all over Southern California, around the irrigation canals especially. And it's a protected species because it's the home for an endangered insect, the longhorn elderberry.
1: So I don't know much about
2: particular one. They don't get a lot of fruit, I don't believe, smaller heads and stuff. Um, so I wouldn't know if he had nigra or if he, you know, cuz we don't we don't know that the canadensis and the nigra really don't pollinate each other. They're different. Some of the ornamental types aren't meant to make very much fruit. But sun is very important if you want to get a lot of berries. They will bloom in shadier areas, but without the the sun, they don't produce as much energy. They just don't make as much fruit. They like to have full sun.
1: Hmm. So it would be great if if he writes us back and if he knows what exactly uh, what selection he has, maybe we can answer the question more we specifically. Can answer it a little bit.
2: There's really they're You know the un, the canadensis, unlike the nigra. Um, doesn't really have to have more than one selection for pollination. They, they're they pretty much self-pollinating, and insect pollinated. So they don't, you know, most of the information in the past is all based on the nigra, which is different and it needs to have a pollinator with it. So oh. that's why they always say to plant two when really that's European types, you need to have two more of to get them to pollinate properly.
1: Oh, so it's even easier. American. So that's super easy. You don't need two plants in order to to get the berries. So that's fantastic. And
2: I know, and you will read it in many, many catalogs and all over that you need to, but not if they're American.
1: Hmm. I've got a quick email here from Hannah, and then I want to dig into some different selections, names of different selections you grow. But first, Hannah asks... Hello, love the topic today. Can you please explain the different colors of elderberries? I was told some colors of elderberries can be hazardous to humans and even kill them. Is that true? Thanks. And that she's Hannah's from Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. So a quick answer to that.
2: Well, there are a number of kinds of elderberries and they have different ones. We've talked about the blue elderberry, which has some uh, a potential of making people sick. The... Red elderberry, which grows mostly in the Northwest also, um, it seems, and in California, it has quite a bit of toxins in it, so we don't really want to eat that one unless you're boiling it quite a bit. There are also white elderberries and uh, yellow elderberries, they're, they're the parts of the world, but mainly if you stick with the dark purple elderberry, it's generally going to be the, the one that's we know is pretty safe,
1: oh, especially good.
2: around North Carolina, They grow really good there
1: excellent, okay, so we talked a little bit about um different selections. now you mentioned John as a selection um now we we had a comment previously, I think it was from Derek, Derek said he thought John didn't taste very good. the berries didn't taste very good
2: right <laughs> um, right well, you know that's, that's see the John's comes out of the research. From Canada where they were in the 50s and they started working on a dye industry you know elderberry was used more for a food coloring than anything else because European Union countries could not use artificial food coloring like we do here in the United States so that spurred a group of people in Canada in the 50s to try to develop a dye industry Using elderberries, and uh, so they had a, a, a release program in the fifties where they brought out several that were uh, meant to be these ones that would grow good in Canada that would uh, make excellent food coloring. And Johns was one of the one of the really good ones that comes out of that of that work, and then also Kent, Nova Scotia, and Victoria. That was the little series of five that they put out. And they they all make pretty good fruit. And um, they're very large berries. They, uh, They were meant mostly for the dark pigment color. But they don't have very big heads compared to the more southern varieties. Now, see, in the other selections that we had before the 97 beginning point of the selection process were the Adams 1 and 2, and york those came out of a a program in new york where those came out and that was back in the 20s and then york was a cross between an old one called easy off and Adams, and it came out in the early 60s and that was the last release of any elderberries in the united states and these are all selected they have not been intentionally bred they were just kind of found and then uh they were brought out. So the new selections that we work with were, we still grow the atoms. We love the one, that old heirloom atoms one is, uh, or atoms two is really what we grow. We haven't been able to really find atoms one. The DNA shows they're all pretty much atoms two that we've been able to test. It isn't what we consider an indeterminate elderberry. We really haven't talked about this fact yet, that the American elderberries are determinate and indeterminate, just like tomatoes. Some will produce their crop in a concentrated set pretty much all at one time, and they don't grow and reflower. And then some types, including the atoms, are indeterminate, and they're going to bloom, set some fruit, grow a little more, bloom again, set some fruit. And they can do that up to four times during the season. So that's, they have a long picking season. And even when we cut them to the ground and try to synchronize them, they still have a long, you have to pick them about four or five times. The two new ones that we work with, that we really love, are determinant types. When we cut them to the ground, they come up, they make great big heads on the end of the stem, and we can usually harvest the entire crop in about a week off of the individual plants.
1: And what are those selections so then can, called? So then we can
2: have a block of Bob Gordon and a block of Ranch. And those are the two that we grow commercially, that we like to pair together. Mm. The the Bob Gordon was the second one to be released from the improvement program. And it is a, it's the sweetest. It has the highest bricks of any of the elderberries that we've been working with and it has large berries and great big heads when you cut them to the ground the he- the heads will average over a quarter of a pound each when we pick them and i have seen individual clumps up to 2 pounds on a bob gordon huge clumps of berries and you pick those all at once and put them in the bucket so it's pretty easy to harvest those large heads and they're all up right on the very ends of the shoots and they run around. The Bob Gordon usually runs about six foot tall in our in, in the way that we work them. They can get up to eight also. And it's got really good chemistry for making wine and some of our wine growers are beginning to make varietal wines out of the Bob Gordon. And the Bob Gordon also has a really good characteristic that we like. It has recumbent positioning of the fruit. It turns, you know, most elderberries have a big umbrella, like an umbrella of fruit. It's like a big landing pad for the birds. Well, the Bob Gordon likes to turn its fruit upside down when it gets ripe and hangs it in an upside down position. And it's much harder for the birds to get in there and eat those than it is when it's a upright position where it's like a landing pad for
1: them. Hmm. Um, So that's one of the characteristics.
2: And the other one we match with that is the ranch. Ranch elderberry is our earliest selection. It comes on and blooms first. It's It's a real rugged plant. It's a little stockier. It takes clay soil and heat a little bit better than the Bob Gordon. And it's very determinate also. So we will harvest our ranch first and about the time we finish it then the bob gordon will start so we have good labor management and you can move through the orchards that way
1: all right great well the i just I'm, that, I'm sorry i'm just going to interrupt you oh, the
2: other oh, oh sorry Wildwood, are you there and that was the first from the elderberry improvement program hey terry it also is very indeterminate
0: <laughs> terry um i don't know if you can hear us you can still hear us correct Yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. uh, Susan was trying to ask you a question or tell you something, so hang on, please.
1: (laughs) Sorry to interrupt you, Terry. I want to continue this, but we need to go for a quick uh, word from our sponsors. So can you hold that note? Just that you were on the fourth concept, but we'll just have a few words from our sponsors, then we'll be back. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, and this is realityradio101.com. Hang in there. Come back after a few words from our sponsors, and we will hear more about Terry's elderberries.
4: In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to earthalivect.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life.
5: If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalogue, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You can learn about adding nitrogen fixing plants, rootstock choices and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays and natural fertilizers. We're located in Elora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519 669 1349 to order your catalog. That's 519 669 1349. Whiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today.
0: Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, and now. Right back to Susan.
1: You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by Stark Brothers Nursery and Orchards. This is Reality Radio 101 and I'm your host Susan Poizner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website OrchardPeople.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. My guest today is Terry Durham of River Hills Harvest. He's an organic farmer who in 2003 moved from growing vegetables to growing and processing elderberries. He's told us all about it today. And we've been talking about the new elderberry selections that he has been planting. Um, Some are really productive. Some have really heavy fruit. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Terry, you on the line with me? I'm right here. Oh, great. Before we dive back in, you were telling us some great stuff about the different selections that you grow. We only have about seven minutes left on the show, so I really want to make sure we get in. Um, We've got an email here from Stephen. This is Steve from Crofton, Maryland. Are there any plants that are good complementary plants to grow in or around elderberry bushes? Also, if you keep bees, do elderberry flowers produce tasty honey? Thanks.
2: We are still trying to learn more about the right guild plants to grow underneath the elderberries um we've been we've tried some compri and we usually let a few different native herbs and stuff grow in our plants. You can grow um elderberries around walnut trees; they are very uh, tolerant of black walnuts, and uh, so we're still trying to learn which are the very best plants to grow around the elderberry. We grow grass and legumes between our aisles. And the second part of that question.
1: Oh, let's go back. To the second part of the about question. honey bee. Bees. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, about honey bee. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, elderberry makes really beautiful flowers. On the top, that don't have very much nectar, but they have a lot of pollen. And a lot of the, the bees go mostly for the pollen from the elder flowers. The bear also, on the outside of its bark, makes external nectar that feeds many of the little parasitoids and wasps and other kinds of native pollinators that need pure energy, they go up there and take it directly off the little uh, nectar producing nodes on the outside of the bark. We've accounted 67 different native pollinators that utilize the area as a food source.
1: That is incredible. That's wonderful. So it's a good plant to have uh, in your garden for biodiversity. Uh, John writes from Abbotsfield, British Columbia, can you grow elderberries from seeds or are they just plants? Do garden stores sell them to plant or just to specialty farmers and growers?
2: Well, if you grow from seeds, it's like growing apples from seeds. You never know what you're going to get. And you might get a really good one. You might get one that's not very good. You don't know. They would be inconsistent from seeds, just like trying to grow apple trees from apple seeds. So we usually want people to buy known plants that have a history, and then you know what you're getting. If you're going to put the effort into growing a fruit tree or a bush, you want to make sure you're growing the right thing, the one that's going to be good for your environment and it's going to give you really good high quality fruit. And mm-hmm. so elderberries, we think, are best from hardwood cuttings or from uh, hard, uh, trees that people have started, and from nurseries because it's always important to get planting stock from nurseries. And because um, there are a few viruses that can be in elderberry, can be, get passed around in that root stock, you know, in the stock, if you're not careful.
1: Hmm. I do have on my website, orchardpeople.com, if uh, people want to go and they just search orchardpeople.com fruit tree nursery resource list. And I have a list of fruit tree nurseries across North America. So that may be a really great place to order, to pick one of these great specialist nurseries and order your elderberry plant. Um, We have one question here. I think it's the last question for today from Jane. Um, Hi, I just tuned in from Queens, New York City. I'm not sure if this question was asked as of yet, but here goes. I want to try to grow elderberries due to their medicinal purposes, but I'm not sure if the weather would be right for the plants here in New York City. Can you enlighten me on this? Thank you.
2: I am sure if you give them... Some good soil and the water, they'll grow well in New York City. New York has a lot of elderberries that grow wild all over it, and so I'm sure that they would grow there. And they're very easy to start. You, know, you can order the hardwood cuttings during the winter, which is we're getting to be that time, and you can plant those hardwood cuttings directly in your garden, or you can start them up in pots and then plant out those plants later on in the year. But you can plant the hardwood cuttings when they're dormant into cold soil, and when the soil warms up, they'll root and take right off. It's pretty easy.
1: That's great. Um, I'm going to sneak in one more question. Susie in Minnesota wrote us a bunch of fantastic questions. It's been such a quick show that I haven't been able to ask a lot of them, but here's a neat question from her. Will slightly immature elderberries ripen after they are picked? No. No. Mm.
2: We have not had any luck with the ripening of unripe fruit.
1: Hmm. Okay, good. So good try team. to let
2: them get ripe on the vine, uh beyond I mean on the bush. If you pick them and there's still some green, they will not turn purple.
1: Right. You okay. can
2: You can make them into capers. We do green elderberry capers that are delicious.
1: Uh, Okay. And Susie also writes, hmm, how would a backyard grower market elderberries? Would it be best to freeze them raw? And what would be a reasonable price per pound? Let's actually, this would be a great opportunity. You've got about two minutes, but could you tell us just quickly how you work with uh, growers, small scale growers, and how you can help them? Um, and, And if there's a website link... We are trying to
2: get more and more people to grow elderberries because it's the perfect medicine to have in your backyard. It's easy to grow all over the United States. It'll grow in every state. And it's, you know, it's a great medicine and it's a great food. And it doesn't take that much. One big bush can make quite a bit of medicine. And you can add so much value to it by making it into syrup or into jelly and then you have that to trade with your friends or to give away or to keep yourself healthy over the winter. And so we work with growers all over the country. We're always trying to find people that want to grow them commercially because that's where we need more farmers growing the elderberries. It doesn't take very much land. We have uh, conferences that we put on for elderberry growers. We do mentoring workshops and... We would love to see more all over the country because it's great for every community. They're great for the environment to grow, for the native pollinators to eat them, and they're good for people to have that good, healthy juice. And we just love elderberries. I think everybody should have some growing in their garden.
1: Okay, well, I guess we want to know who won the prize today. So I have a bucket with a bunch of names. I picked a name out of the bucket, and it's interesting. Our winner today of the prize of amazing products that you have created, uh, the elderberry juice, the elderberry syrup, and our winner is Rich. From Fredericksburg, Virginia. Thank you so much, Rich. Right. You and he also sent go, him I, great questions. I go to
2: to Fredericksburg every year for to speak. So hopefully, I'll see him there someday.
1: Great. Well, he'll know what your stuff tastes like. So, all right. thank well, you congratulations, so much. No, oh, congratulations, Rich. Rich, and thank you so much for being on the show. I feel like we could have talked about this for two hours and still not gotten around to answer all the questions. But I feel like we learned a lot. So thank you so much, Terry, for coming on the show today.
2: Well, thank you very much. And there's lots of information on our website online. If people want to go there, they can answer a lot of their questions by just looking through there.
1: And the website address is?
2: Riverhillsharvest.com
1: Great. Thank you and goodbye for now.
2: Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day, everyone.
1: Thanks. That was Terry Durham of River Hills Harvest. It's the end of the show. And I wanted to ask you all a quick favor. Did you like the show? Are you a regular listener? If so, would you be willing to rate or review this show on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher? There are so many podcasts out there. So shows that have been highly rated are more likely to be featured and easier to find. Thank you so much. If you can go and give us a rate on your favorite podcaster. But for now, from me, Susan Poisner, I'm going to have to say goodbye. We will talk about more fruit tree care interesting topics next month. But for now, thanks so much for tuning in today. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry radio show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com/podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month, and each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at UrbanFruitTrees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again.